This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute Productions, The Decade Project, where we go back to films 10 years ago, talk about the resonances, see what kind of impact they had, reflect on whether we've kind of curated, whether they've continued to cut through in this glut of content. And so I'm joined by two of my dearest friends. I've got the internet trailblazer, the only newsman in the movie news biz that still has integrity. The only place I actually go to actually read what the fucking news is. Because every time I try and search for other news, giant robot have an exclusive that Adam Driver is going to be in Heat 2. And I'm like, fuck off. It's Garth Franklin is one of my guests. <laughs> one of my other dearest friends, uh, Mr. Stu Coot is also here, former co-host of The Cinephiles, um, but now just Twitter scamp and, uh, and, and pest. And we love him for it. Man about internet town. Man about internet town. Um, We're here today to talk about a 2013 film which has grown in stature for me personally um, from performances to visuals. It's grown in stature pretty much with everyone in the cast. It is 2013's Prisoners. Wait until we're invited. Oh, for God's sake. Can I get the hell in here? <laughs> what? He actually sings it in the shower. So I do not. Yes, you do. <laughs> Bobby, can I take Joy to our house? And wear a hat, please. You're just getting over a cold. Joy, you wear a hat, too. Where are sisters? I can't find them. Anna? Joy! Wait, I checked the entire house. They're not here. Dad, there was this RV and they were playing on it. There was, there, we thought there was someone inside. You wait here. I couldn't find them! Detective Loki. <laughs> Do you have children, Detective? I'm gonna find your daughter. Show me your hands right now! Huh? You put those girls somewhere, Alex. No. I know you put those girls somewhere. He stays in custody until my daughter's found, right? We have a 48 hour hold on. It ends tomorrow unless we bring charges. We'll charge him with something. That boy has never been in trouble, not a day in his life. Well, this thing's clean. I'd start looking in the woods by the rest stop. 
The police said they're letting him go today. What you doing? Tony! Well, no, no, no! Day six, and every day she's wondering why I'm not there. You told us that you could protect us from everything. Why did you look for my daughter? Alex. What in the world did you do? Someone has to make him talk, or they're gonna die. We're not gonna help Keller, but we won't stop him either. Let him do what he needs to. I know you know where they are. Where's my daughter? Directed by Danny Villeneuve, um, written by Aaron Guzikowski. Starring, obviously, Hugh Jackman, Viola Davis, Jake Gyllenhaal, Terrence Howard. Um, I mean, this was a time when you could hire Mel- Melissa Leo solely to be evil. Uh, Paul Dano, Maria Bello, uh, terrific cast across the board. And, yeah, I, I asked the lads to talk to me. We've done two decade projects together. This is our second. Um, I want to start off and just say Prisoners is a movie that, I could just solely, if there was nothing else, and there's so much more to offer in this movie, but if there was nothing else but Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as, um, I'm going to get his name here, it's Detective Loki, funnily oh, enough, after speaking yeah. after speaking about old, Marvel. Old, Twitch, old Twitches and Tats, I call them. Twitches and Tats, yeah. yeah I, could, I could do 20 more Twitches and Tats Jake Gyllenhaal movies after this one. I it's love, so good to see him actually do a performance, like a real... Like he's trying swinging for the fences with it. He's he really trying. Swing, I think there's about five people in this movie who are swinging, and he is swinging, lads. How was going back a decade ago to this? Uh, this kind of like, I don't know. This feels like Denny Villeneuve's like insomnia. Like it's one that gets missed in the big conversation about oh, it's, these it's, movies. It's, it's better than insomnia. Yeah. Can I? Can I also? Can I say I put this? So there's there's three that I would sort of put close to each other. This. Memories of Murder, like mm. Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. I put them both mm. above, and you'll hate to hear this. I put them above Zodiac in terms of because I put there's a there's something yeah, to, different kind of film, different films. They are, a, they are, but there's there's something about the, everyone always talks about the control that Fincher has. There's, yes, there's mm-hmm. like it's almost that um, psychotic control that he has of the like that hundred takes, and it's got to be this, and the right mug has to be. Well, mm-hmm, one like mm-hmm. the detail, but there's a and there's a sense that he's in Finch's direction. Also, say the Coens, there's this. As soon as you start one of their films, you're like, there is a steady hand at the wheel of whatever yes, we're yeah. doing. There is there is a hand. I always I'm, find yeah, with it's Dylan, when you're sitting in a chair and you're like, I'm good now. I'm fine. Let's it's go. All right. Like we're Where, gonna, wherever you we're go, going to get you there. And wherever we're going is with purpose. I always find somehow with Villeneuve, he he has this this sense of inertia in everything he does that whether you want to go somewhere or not, it is just going to build. It's there in enemy. It's there in Sicario. It's mm. there in polytechnic, like everything he does there, there in arrival. And throughout this, there is just that sense of that encroaching force behind everyone that despite whatever they're doing is just pushing <laughs> them forward constantly. Yes. And mm-hmm. I, I just adore it. And I adore that. It's not, like the scope of it again is is just perfect. Like Gyllenhaal's introduction, where he's like hitting on the waitress or talking to her about like her Chinese, her like Chinese zodiac sign. 
Yeah. And I love the way he's like, can you hit up the boss to take the thing? He's like, he won't. He's a rooster. And the way he just looks down and is just like selfish and selfish. <laughs> <laughs> such a beautiful bit of writing. Just like, oh, like <laughs> the other thing, just quickly, yeah. I'll touch it because I, I have this thought going through my, my head in that I mean, everyone at their time, except for Gyllenhaal, basically has to swing, has to go up dial up to 11 at some stage. Either yes. for the women, they mm-hmm. either have to go cliche catatonic. Yes. Or yeah. for the men, they have to go big the other way. But there was something that just struck me of how Hugh Jackman, how perfectly cast he was in using his size and how ineffective he was. Like I got, I kept getting thinking mm. back to like, the Batman Joker fight of like, oh yeah, yeah. it's like you know you, all your strength, whatever, yeah. And you you can't do anything like you can't yeah. save your daughter, and you're this big hulking guy, but at the same time that he can make it like they're able to make it his crux as well that I should yes. be able to do something because I should, I'm and, and I'm prepared. Like, I'm a I'm a guy who is prepared for the end of the yeah. world. I'm a survivalist, yeah. and so now that I'm faced with a situation. Everything that I do, every faculty that I have, I cannot get past this this twisted thing. Um, because almost d- like Christopher, but, Lee, but, you, right? but you understand you understand the thought process of that. Yes, that's the whole thing. Yeah, the film, yeah. you, you get why a guy thinks like that and why he he does the actions he does. Oh, but also like this takes the most cliche. Like I mean, I we've got a child on the way. Like you got two kids. I think anytime you're or Garth, you've got your your niece and nephew. Like. Anytime you've got a person that says, oh, what would you do if your kid got stolen? Like if something, if your kid got kidnapped, what would you do? Every, the cliche male thing is, I'll kill them. I'll kill everyone. I'll, I would do, I would yeah. do anything to get them back. And it's, it's fascinating this, how people just use the police predominantly as like, like the captain says, like, we're just, we're garbage. We're garbage men at the end of the day. But they're like, just do your job. Just go out, like, solve the murder, like make it happen now, make like, because if you don't, I'm taking matters into my hands because that's what everyone would, you know, in the sort of cliche question 101 of like, what would you do if your kid gets sold? Everyone goes, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd kill a person. I'd get, if anyone touched my kid, I'd kill them. Yes. And it's interesting to see that play out with like how Terrence, like the Terrence Howard is like one of the best parts of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. When, when, when he's, when he's got the hammer, and he's taking mm. out that bathroom with Paul Dano. The look on Terrence Howard's face going, what the fuck am what I the fuck are we? What are we doing? Like, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it is incredibly hard to watch. And also then, mm. that's what I say, like Maria, it's, it's a great interplay between Maria Bello, who I think does, you know, like you said, in some ways you could say it's thankless, that thankless like catatonia but they just do enough. They sprinkle enough and season enough like true bits of paranoia as the encroaching world of the yeah. impacts of these kidnappers and child, you know, child murderers, like, a, you know, basically starts to, you know, be like a noose that's around this entire town. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do enough with her that make her really fantastic. So I don't want to miss out on her talking about, it. I just also want to shout out, like, you know, we already know that Viola Davis is one of the greatest yeah. actors that has ever walked the face of the earth. Ever. And she, in this movie, especially when faced with these choices, is able to 
bite down on her lower lip, so to speak, and like go in and Terrence Howard's like, I can't make the choices you're going to make. And she's like, oh no, I'll make him. I'll, I'll burn this guy. I'll torture him. Yeah. I'll do anything. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah. all the morale, she's just complete amorality comes over. It becomes like mm. lizard brain shit where like people do this. And I think that it's, it's ugly, but it's ne- uh, necessarily ugly movie um, in those respects. And it's very candid with its ugliness. And I really love it. Um, Garth, but that's, like, that's kind of the point of the whole movie where it's like you're, you're essentially torturing a mentally disabled person Yes. Uh, for, you know, for a, a perceived act of horror. Suspicion. Which, yeah, yes. suspicion, basically. I want to say there's... That that's one thing I love about this movie is that the it does such a fantastic job, and I have to credit the script. And I want to just shout out his name again: as Aaron Guzikowski. He does such an amazing mm. job of in the background of the movie. You hear about a novel about like a memoir of the Invisible Man or something like that, or yeah. something like that, yeah. where someone has yeah. written their account of being kidnapped. And and mm-hmm. they escaped uh, from this person, so it's like it becomes law, but law as in L O R E, law of this town that there is this has happened, and then it's a preacher who who makes a a moral decision, if you like, uh, hearing that someone <laughs> is like I've I've kidnapped and I've killed children and I'll kill again, so he kidnaps someone and murders them and leaves their you know, rotting corpse in his, mm-hmm. in his basement. And like, after already ha- being a preacher that has maybe had some, you know, or at least the connotation of child molestation on him. And then you've got the absolutely phenomenal David Del- um, Dasmach uh, Malchian, who plays Bob Taylor in this, who is a guy that is utterly traumatized for his entire life and is trying to make meaning of all of the trauma. Um, and he's sort of living this weird protracted, strange life um, that kind of comes in and messes things up because like he starts going on the trail of this person. And then some people think he's the killer. And it's like this entire mystery, it's, it's, you are putting the puzzle pieces together of, of just how large scale and how much it's touched many people's lives and how the ways that they've, they've touched it, it all tangentially, again, I think it coalesces so beautifully, but I just remember watching that and being like, man, does this film do such a great job of saying laser focus on the story it is trying to tell and not being bogged down and going into a digression and just like mentioning it in the background or mentioning it in a conversation and mentioning it and just stays at that forward momentum and all these distractions become distractions from solving the murder and so solving the missing, the case of these missing girls. And I, I just, but I really love this. That's the great thing with Gyllenhaal though, is that um, his whole backstory, he just, it's just one offhand mention about how he's raised in the boys' home. Yes. And when he's like torturing the priest. And then you just, then it starts little things with his, you know, the collar done up, with the tattoos, with the, the twitches and all that sort of stuff. It's a lot of stuff there. It's never, it's only, it's never actually, you know, it never dwells on it. You never get a big backstory for Loki. It's all just these little inferns at, at different points. And it's, yeah, it's really, really strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, way, yeah, everybody right. has trauma in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but you're right about the way they do Gyllenhaal because, you, yeah, the collar is perfect. The fact that he wears the same clothes every single day is mm-hmm. one of those, like, this is my uniform, this is one of my disciplines. Like, he could be a Paul Schrader character if yes. you wanted to mm-hmm. go into, if you wanted to go, and or I got sort of those vibes of sort of, 
in a longer story, this becomes true, detective, and we go back to your empty unit where you've only got a cross. Oh yeah, and yes. and a couch, but we and, don't. And a tiny that. circular but mirror that, that's, for some reason to look yeah, into your own we, eyeball. Yeah, yeah, but that's the big. And, that, and just the, but we don't. That's, they don't give into that, and also the relationship hmm. with his captain is like he gets a lot of um, he gets a lot of rope to speak to him quite um, like you know in that sort of chain of command sort of thing where he's like, can you fucking get out of my way and do my job? And the, the captain says, which is, it's very funny when Maria Bello brings it up after that, she has her first meeting with Loki and she breaks up at the, again, at that, that trope of like your captain said, you've solved every like case you've ever had. And she bursts out laughing, but you're also like, you can exactly see that that podunk captain has said, don't worry, love. I've got my best man on the job. He solved every case. <laughs> but at the same time, Loki probably did because we see how thorough he is and yes. how he mm. just he just doesn't actually have an agenda. He's just going where he gets called and follows the the next thing that's up. He just he doesn't try and paint anyone into a corner. He just follows where the evidence is. It's, the other smart thing is it doesn't go, and it's not this story. Doesn't really do anything with the media or the hysteria of the town. It doesn't no. even touch on that. It just, mm. you go, there's a media scrum following around. That's it. When no reporters overstep their mark, we don't really even see much. We see vans come and go. It, it doesn't sort of turn into, because the year after no. this, it was a great, it was a great time for candle lit vigils and line mm. searches of forest. Cause we had gone girl the next year. Yes. Mm. And so we had a lot of those like searching for body sort of looks that mm-hmm. I love. But whereas Gone Girl was very much playing in the media. Oh, but that was, those, is yeah, yeah. It, it is. But that that had this just had that you could just infer from the nice writing. But yeah. I, I think my nicest touch in this is when he's doing the first interrogation of Paul Dano, how mm. it was silently cutting to the crime scene analysis of the R V. Yes. Just mm-hmm. splicing in, in in complete silence of like the water dripping off. I just love that idea that forensically there is no agenda. All that these got these texts come down in the middle of the night. There's a a piece of tree through a. They don't actually know what's happened, and all they're there mm. to go are there fibers? No, there aren't. No, like we don't even can't even tell you what to make of that. All we're saying is there aren't any fibers. But if there was a struggle, there'd be fibers. All right, next, like. I just love how clinical it is and cold it is at times. And then at other times there is a lot of humanity at play. I, I loved it. I love this so much. Mm. I mean, we haven't um, mentioned his name yet. It, Roger Deakins. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. <laughs> That's a whole other story of this movie. You could, you could write essays on that tree shot. You could write essays oh. on that drone shot over the dam. Yes. Uh, uh, there's, there's even a shot that, where even that there's a sh- even the the arrest at the the beginning where they're like the the blue oh the stuff at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, even there's a shot where the, where him and the sun are running back in the rain and the way the rain mm. is falling down mm. on that cul-de-sac kind of thing is just ah. Uh, I'm and, just looking and, at it going. Uh. It's it, that that shot where the RV is parked at the petrol station. Yeah, and you're seeing yeah. Gyllenhaal walk up to it in the rain and his silhouette. And I'm just like, this is fucking gorgeous. It looks yeah. <laughs> like 10 bazillion dollars. It's like, Denny's just like, I was, I know I'm shooting this in like a fucking podunk town in Canada. 
playing for some piece slice of American suburbia, but man, I'm going to shoot the living fucking daylights out of this if I have Roger Deakins because he will just do it. And the editors, Joel Cox and Gary Roach, you just talked about that great scene of the intercutting. I just think the editing at times is surprisingly deft at passing along a lot of information with just visuals of things that they've shot like, you know, like that, like that. And then other times is so glacially perfect and slow and deliberate that you're just like, this is just sensational. It just slowly goes along and just very calm. It's excellent. And full props to the, the score as well on this one. Oh, oh yeah. Your hand to Hannison. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. He's, he's passed, hasn't he? Did he pass or was it, did he pass a couple of years ago or was it the, just yes, he did. No, up. you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, um, he did. He, he did. He's done. He's done um, uh, some terrific scores. He did. He obviously. Yeah, you know, if we're talking scores. about if if you did Villeneuve, you're you're a fan of things like he obviously did Prisoners. Um, and he did. Did he do Enemy? He did Arrival. I'm just gonna see if he did Enemy as well. No, he it doesn't look like he's done Enemy. I'm just trying to see if there's others, um, that we may be. It's a, a lot haunting. Of, it's a haunting score. Yeah, a lot of European flicks. He, he ended up doing um. Mary Magdalene, which was um, um, the Aussie. Oh yeah, the Joaquin Phoenix one. Okay. Yeah, the Garth Davis, who's an Aussie filmmaker who made Lion, he followed it up with Mary Magdalene with Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara. And um, I remember, I mean, the production of that movie, the look of it, the feel of it, even the cast mm. of it was quite good. But um, it, it probably didn't land hundred percent. But man, such a terrific score. Loved this, and I just and the production design as well. Um, Patrice Vermette was the production designer. I'm just going to see if she's done other. Uh, oh no, sorry, it's Patrice, as in a man. Patrice, he's he's done Dune. He did Sicario. Um, he's he he had a hand in. Um, oh my God, what a freaking resume! Um, he had a hand in <laughs> Enemy as well. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah like uh, <laughs> so he's Villeneuve's backup. He's Villeneuve's guy. <laughs> yeah, like and yeah, he did the ter- terrific 2011 movie Cafe de Floor, which I think is a, a, yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a spe- special movie special movie as well but like that that production design especially in the house when the snakes are crawling over loki's oh, yeah. that, that is a fucking outlandishly yeah. insane scene and especially because like with all those like all those like the spirals on the wall oh mm. on hand hand drawn on all the walls yeah, in yeah. the house but easily could easily not work like that could look almost too tropey about the crazed person but again i can never pronounce that the guy that's playing who he who he arrests there, but if they ever did a John Cazale movie, he should oh, yeah. <laughs> like he should play John Cazale. Like if you throw like a bit of a a bald cap on him, I think that could work really well. Um, yeah, David Dasmas Maltian, he's like he's Maltian, yeah. he's in everything. He's in oh yeah, he pops up all the all the time, and he goes um, that he goes from this into Ant Man where he's sort of playing the Russian hacker, and he and yeah, then yeah. I think he had a. He had a role. He's in June. He's in June as well. He's got a smaller. He's in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He was like, I think he had Blade Runner. I think he's in Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well. Um, and he's in he he's in Suicide Squad. So just very as a as an anecdote, I work with a bloke who his favorite film. We get talking about movies, and because he, I have a quote from Aliens on my um on my on my cubicle about like the every day's about every meal's a banquet, every paycheck's a fortune. And he noticed it. I love the get, We get talking and he, he goes, look, my favourite movie, and I've seen it, I count it every time I watch it, is Blade Runner. And he said, I've seen it 153 times. I was at the premiere 
in Sydney in 1982 when it came out. And wow. I, wow. I've been obsessed ever since. And I said, oh, funny, have you seen um, Blade Runner 2049? The director is, I think, arguably like top five working actors at the moment. He goes, no, I'm, I, I can't do it. I love the other one too much. And I, every time I've been wearing him down now for a year. Last weekend, <laughs> he finally watched it. And he came in yesterday into work and he goes, mm. I watched it. Uh, I think I've got to watch it about another hundred times now to catch up. <laughs> there is such reverence and there is such a, a power and everything behind it. And I just think that there's something, there is those, the, the control of like those glacier-like movements that mm. Villeneuve has at times. And even when he shoots action, it's still, like even the car chase. Still oh, feels... that car chase at the end, the car mm. at the end. And mm. the rain streaming down the and the and the blood area his face the blood streaming yeah. down his eye and the way he's looking back, it's um I, we didn't talk about it in Iron Man but it was one thing the terrific sensational film which um I've only now watched about I I've only probably watched through like two or three times but I've watched the the Natu Natu dance about twelve hundred times because my son <laughs> Keith loves it so much I showed it to him one day and he's like it yeah. is the coolest right. thing ever. RRR, he's he, the great director, SS Raj Mool, He goes, I really love superhero movies. I just wish they'd slow down their action so I could see what was going on. And I, he said it yeah. with love. He said it with <laughs> yeah. love, like, like yeah. as a director who's like, I, I tend to like, I said it and I don't like cutting away too much. And he's like, the most he's ever cut a scene is the dance in Natu Natu because he's cutting for effect um, and to punctuate background actors and to punctuate different movement movements. And it's like that true, like animation action direction, if you like, because it's like, yeah. you're just taking the mood of the song and you're, it's more like a shooting a, a film clip for, for a song, a music clip. Um, but he's, he's like, if you look at even the action in RR, which is as patently ridiculous as a superhero movie is yeah. so sensational and elevated because it's it takes its time and you watch these huge scenes unfold and it really loves bodies in motion and physicality and all those things and and Villeneuve is not a great action choreographer necessarily as like oh you look at him you're like oh my god look at all this but man when there's action in his stuff any kind of action he's got he he because he's got deacons there it just Shit just happens. He sets it, and it just happens. It's great. we understand oh, the geography of action. There's geography yes, with yeah. action scenes of yeah. where you understand where all the players are and how everything's falling out. And he understands that there's so many directors these days that just don't really don't. But even even the tension to the way, like he would tuck the he tuck the camera in behind Gyllenhaal any time he was going to pull his weapon out. Yes, like you would like, and it was such a short, sharp movement that you're like, yeah. This guy is so experienced. He's at times you worry about if he's reckless because he's he's clearly sort of like the way he goes into the caravan where you're like, there's why are you go like someone has to go in, but why are you going gung ho? You don't really know what's in there. There is a he jumps straight into it, like when he's breaking into the house at first Hugh Jackman, the run his dad's old house. There mm. is a somewhat a slight recklessness to him that he goes in by himself to all these things. But you also get... The or he's running through the yards. He, when he's running through the yards after our boy, yeah. David Del, uh, Del Mastin, yeah. it's like he's running through the yards and you're like, that scene, 
fucking mess me up this time. I was watching it. And I was like, oh, why? You, I know you've got to chase yeah. this guy, but it's just not good. It's not fun. It's, you know. But it gives you a sense that he he is can handle himself. Like he's not a, he's not a, um, they don't ever have him doing big punch outs or like any big yeah. wrestling. It, he's just a man, it's just, yeah. it, which is good because it, it brings it back to that sort of reality because he's giving away a few kilos to probably most crooks on the street sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's something I really like that sort of the blink, like those little touches on Gyllenhaal work quite well. I think, yeah, the tats, like you say, the tats work really well. The haircut, it just, it is a man of business. Yeah, he's got the, the Hitler youth with the black hair. Yeah, yeah. 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 And a man yeah. that has probably did, like I sort of got a bit of a, um, like, a sleepers vi- like sleepers vibe as well. Like yes. the sense that he's yes. been, Abused yeah. as a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. And it may have been the reason he joined the police. And it may have been yeah, the reason. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing with like, the twitching. It's like initially yeah. you're wondering if it's a drug thing, but then it sort of is obviously not because it goes on through more theories. And then you start wondering what caused this and whether this was, you know, kind of born condition or whether this was something that he sustained from. And then when the boys' yeah, home stuff comes in, you're wondering yeah. if it's like, okay, was this, has this guy been abused? Is this why he's. So chasing these sort of guys. And I have to admire the shit out of him because he modulates that. he So he establishes that this character has tics and that's Mm. the reflections of the trauma, right? That's, oh, sorry. That's the manifestation of the trauma coming out. Mm. But I love Mm. that like in certain sequences, especially when he closes proximity between him, it just, well, sometimes it goes, but sometimes it picks up. And you're like, and the way that he, he, it, it has like a, like a real narrative cohesion to why he's doing it is great. And it's funny, like the show, basically the best talk show online, Hot Ones, right? (laughs) um, Dylan Hall recently was a guest on Hot Ones and he talked about prisoners and he goes, I, you know, cause you know, the, 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 um, um, Sean Evans, the great host there is like, Oh, I really love Danny Villeneuve and I really love prisoners. And can you tell me about making that movie? Cause you know, I think your performance is spectacular. And he goes, Oh, thank you. And he's like, when we read that, like on the page, Loki was like, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't have some of that stuff on the page. Like he could have been played as a straight out character. And he said, when I read it, I kind of looked at it and I was like, I have so much opportunity to really like swing for the fences and Villeneuve as a director who you think, man, he's tackling these absolutely monstrous projects. Usually he's tackling big budgets. He's tackling big egos. Like he's worked with Taylor Sheridan as one. Um, He's worked with Harrison Ford and other, like, I mean, even though Harrison Ford's a damn God at this point, but it's like, he's worked with these things. He's tackling Dune, which must be the most intimidating thing of all time. Everyone in their dog has failed at making that movie. And he made part one, pretty stone cold banger of a movie if you ask me um but man just to give him the trust after working with uh, jake on enemy and being like yeah just swing for the fences bro go absolutely hard do whatever you want like do whatever you think is going to make sense and 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 he just does a such a spectacular job he's just uh, amazing i i can't get enough of loki like i could watch just a highlight reel of him in this movie over and again he's great this is also the interesting point for Gyllenhaal because he just done uh, the Prince of Persia thing about two years before, and that was his real sort of last attempt at trying some big studio thing. Yes, and that was a kind of bit of a disaster sort of thing. So it feels like he has something to prove, and he carries that on. He did this, then he did Enemy, then he did Nightcrawler, then he did Southpaw. I think after that and most yeah. stuff. So this was that sort of period where. Gillen always felt like he was source, really source code around this time. Like this. Yes, source yeah. code. Source code it was about is... a year or two before. Yeah, yeah so 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 source oh, code. It was he an goes incredible from, run. 
He goes Zodiac Rendition Brothers. Then he does Prince of Persia Sands of Time because, you know, they were like, we're still trying to make Jake Gyllenhaal happen. The same time he does Love yeah, and Other and Drugs. Rendition, Rendition and Brothers didn't really work either. They it didn't work. He does didn't. Love and Other Drugs, which was big-ish for mm-hmm. the time, but kind of fell yeah. away. He does Source Code. Um, and then after after Source Code, he goes End of Watch, Prisoner's Enemy, Nightcrawler. Yeah. End of Watch is the start of the yeah. Yeah, and and then he does a couple of other biggish ones. He does Southpaw and Everest, and then he does Demolition, which I quite enjoyed. Twenty fifteen little movie. He does Nocturnal yeah. Animals with Tom Ford. Um, and great then, film, great um, film. Then he has Life, underrated, super fun yeah. popcorn alien oh, flick. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ok- Okja, Stronger. And then, like, he starts going into more weird and wonderful stuff. Wildlife, Sisters, Brothers, Velvet, Buzzsaw. Pops into Spider Man mm-hmm. Far From Home. Does his uh, <laughs> has George, a ball. Has a ball. Has yeah. a ball. And then, yeah, now he's into things like The Guilty Ambulance, which he's having an absolute fucking wild time. And uh, and is in now The Covenant, which I'm really excited. Guy Ritchie's new flick. The, it was funny as we're looking at this 10 year thing. I went to watch this and I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I own it on Blu-ray. No, I don't. I'm That's like, the same thing oh, as me. Yeah, I thought I had I'll it. Go and, and like, oh, I'll, go and, oh, I'll yeah. go and buy it. And I was like, it's not anywhere. And this was like one of those things going, how the hell is this not, I don't have a 4K of this. How like, don't I have a 4K even, of a Danny Villeneuve movie is a fucking great like, question to ask. <laughs> and it's only 10 years. Like in terms, and we, we always talk about these conversations with physical media. And I was like, have I just been missing it when I've, I swear I've seen it available at JB over the years and just never. I have a Blu-ray. I, I have a Blu-ray and I instinctively went to watch it on the telly in the lounge room. Cause I know that despite the fact that the movie, especially now with kids, you talked about, you've got one on the way. Garth's, mm. Garth's the best uncle in the world to a great niece and nephew. <laughs> um, and I've got mine too. I'm like the fucking kid stuff in this stuff is tough, but my wife likes Danny Villeneuve movies enough and likes Jake and likes Hugh Jackman. It's like, mm. it's one and loves Viola. So we can get away with kind of watching it even with the tough bits um, in the movie. So I went to just watch it out in the lounge room. I didn't have it. I was like, oh, cool. I guess yeah. I'll have to go back yeah. to my Blu-ray. Mm. And I came in and thankfully I look at my shelves now and I'm like, fucking thank God, because it's like, how does a movie that is this good? And even like, I know we were just sort of joking about Insomnia before saying it's a lesser Nolan. You can't fucking find that movie anywhere. It's so hard to find. No, it's a Christopher no. Nolan movie. How the yeah, fuck? Yeah. It's a Christopher Nolan movie with Robin Williams and Al Pacino and Hilary Swank. How can I find that and fucking movie? It's Warner Brothers picture. It's not like it was a, one of these smaller distributors. No, it's insane. It's like for the longest time, The Insider, Academy Award nominated The Insider with Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. It was so hard to get in international regions. Fortunately, in Australia, there's like a little Blu-ray you can get. But like, I don't get it. Like, that's the other thing I think are going to come up in these topics is like some of these fucking movies are hard to find. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it's what is decreasing. Like, I think JB has, they've kind of pivoted into certain things over this last 10 years. Yes. But there was a time when you would have expected to have a sale every other day for physical media. There wasn't even really a thought. Now, this iTunes was probably running up in, was iTunes for movies running in 10 yeah. years ago like this? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, it was. But it was yeah, still, so it I, wasn't like, didn't have the kind of range like it has now. No. Yeah, it's just interesting. As we said with Iron Man, like all these industries that have sort of, like my first thing was, because I don't, like it was just to go, all right, well, I'll, you know, just check. Like I've got Just Watch. I live on Just Watch for all these sort of things. And it was like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess I'm just, Buying it on buying it on iTunes now, and I was like, oh, I really yeah, don't same. like that thought either. That like, this is one of those ones that you do want to have the sort of 
I want to have the know? disc. I want to check out the it's special features. And- I want to see if Villeneuve's talking. I want to see Roger Deakin. I, w- I want to watch a behind-the-scenes camera on Deakins and Villeneuve having a conversation. <laughs> That's what I want. Because- like, I'm dying for it. Where where are you guys on the actual conversation of Villeneuve? Is it are you I I have him sort of top five working like like it begun to my head between at times between him and Nolan I think he brings a he brings a, a sense of the humanity and he has a he has a bit more of a biting edge than Nolan. Um, both he's, 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 he's certainly more of a human director than Nolan. Like Nolan yeah. always runs a bit cold. Um, but I think Villeneuve can be cold in the sense of like, yeah, but will... it's not it's not quite the same. It's not it's a different. Nolan's always much more sort of an intellectual, trying to figure things out, puzzle kind of guy. Yeah. Whereas Villeneuve, there's a bit the... more of a heart there. But he holds the mirror, I think, up to society a bit more. Whereas mm. Nolan is a bit more spectacle. Villeneuve yeah. is actually like there are you do make wrong choices. There are bad people. Bad like bad mm. things happen to people, and he'll put that mirror up and there's a sense of inevitability about the badness. Um, <laughs> but I, I think in terms of appointment viewing, he is, oh, no, he, I'm, after, in the top five. After, like, so I love prisoners, but after Sicario, I'm like, yeah. I will see like, so I think I, I think enemy was harder to get in Oz and I don't know if we watched. But enemy, enemy was also more of a, it's more of the classic art house indie kind of film. Yeah. So I it's watched more prisoners. that kind of, you still see that kind of stuff more. Whereas this, this, this is the big thing with me with this movie was that you don't see films like this anymore. No, this is the mid-budget adult drama sort of thriller that's yeah. really, really polished, really kind of thing like that. This thing would be an HBO miniseries these days, easily. It's, it's Mary Beast so much, and I and that's um, the thing I love is they trim so much fat. It's so economical and you could tell mm. that it's right for digressions, but like, no, this is a feature film. We're going to get, yeah, it's not that story. It's not, no. we're not going to go and go memoirs of the invisible man, make it a serial killer, make it just some Netflix <laughs> trash. Like, no, we're going to make made, it. It was made 15, 20 years before it'd be a Paramount Pictures 90s thriller. Yes. Because if it was made, it's made 10 years later. Like I said, it'd be an HBO miniseries. Now. It's this, it's this I, kind of thing where it's yeah. sort of hit in this. <laughs> I, think, I do think, June has been my least enjoyable of his just because it felt a bit because it felt a bit hollow, but the scope, the grandeur and some of the photography and the scope of things that he puts on like when they run out, the same well, the trick with June is that, June's tricky because as I said, it's a two parter. So this is and he had to get rid of maybe oh, no, no, it's too bad really. But June with that novel, it's all the exposition is really in that first half. And so this second half, yeah. this is going to be more interesting because a lot of it is just, it's, it's almost like a trip. It's, it's a big old sort of hippie dipshit. Put that on the poster. <laughs> June 2, a big old that. hippie dipshit. Garth Franklin, Dark Horizons. <laughs> it felt a little bit sort of uh, style over substance, which is maybe the point of June to a certain extent as well, in terms of it's hard to wrangle in. The other stuff I've just felt, bit more focused, I guess. Oh, like, Sicario and, is fucking outstanding. It's, very, it's a lot tricky. Yeah, it's a lot tricky. A lot more scale. Yeah. It's very, very hard. It's a very, very hard novel to adapt. Yeah, super hard to adapt. And, I, and I'm and i not a Dune head, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. 
Sicario, you know, you boys know, because I think we actually saw Sicario together and we were all like, what the fuck mm. is this? This was amazing. <laughs> Arrival yeah. really took hit me for six. Didn't see it in the theater for whatever reason. I don't know when it came out in 2016, which doesn't surprise me if it came out late in the year. That was probably, um, I would call that like Halcyon Hazel days that when my daughter mm. was born. So I, I probably wasn't around to see that at the time that it was in the theater and I watched it at home and I was, you know, as a new parent, I was absolutely floored by it and I was just a a puddle by the end of it. I just loved it to pieces, but Blade Runner 2049 was like going to church. That movie was brilliant. It was cathedral like experience. I've never felt a sense of awe and anticipation and just like emotional investment in a story and an audience. I've rarely felt that sitting in a theater, the way that I felt it in Blade Runner 2049. And then just the deep satisfaction that he actually landed the plane on a movie that seemed like an impossibility um, mm. was incredible. And then going into Doom, which took a couple of years to make, cause he made some things in pretty quick succession, obviously in a much smaller scale, less reliance on budget, less reliance on, you know, huge marketing campaigns, et cetera. Um, but you know, we get Dune in 2021, you know, a post pandemic, um, as a a sort of like late 21 banger. And now we're going to get Dune part two. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for him. I, I think he's a terrific director. Sicario again, I, I don't know what I've watched more. It might just be Sicario because it's a little bit less emotionally grueling, but I've certainly watched Sicario Blade Runner, like countless times at this point i don't even know how many times like just i've always yeah. watched like 20 minutes of them 30 minutes of them an hour of them when i get a minute um if i don't know what to watch he's, well, he's he's a very good director also if anyone if you ever have someone new starting at your work and their head is spinning it's so good to be able to tell them you're worried about how the clock works i'm just trying to teach you how to read time <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and I think it showed why with him him not being there for Sicario 2, which has grown on me with multiple viewings, I think mm. that you see what he would have brought to it, I think, if he had had that yeah. to do a bit more with. I think it's... Yeah. It, Sicario it's 2 about, is not a bad movie. It's actually... Very, it's, it's, a, it's a good ac- It's a good action movie, but it's not Sicario, the first it's not one. It's not the first one, no. Yeah. That, that first and one where Emily Blunt that, rolls up, when, when she rolls up with Daniel Kaluuya in that truck for that first fucking scene, it is... <laughs> special oh. movie man yeah. Deacon's doing the whole thing with the, the trip down across the border oh into, in yeah, into Warriors oh yeah. Christ that's good oh boy and even and that's the thing like even in prisoners like I say everyone gets their 11 moment like Melissa Leo is well she's simmering at like 15 um, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Leo lives at 15 you are right that's yeah. so funny <laughs> Like, she, I'm like, let's have a look at Melissa Leo's career at that time. So Melissa Leo, Gorn let's baby, go, Gorn let's go, Gorn let's, let's get like pre equalizer two and let's get down to like the 2010s, Ooh, wow. 13s. So well, all right. Olympus has fallen was around that time. Okay. <laughs> so Melissa yeah. Leo is in uh, one reading of my, the, oh, man. she's reading the pledge of allegiance when she's uh, getting dragged to the helicopter, whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Melissa Leo. She does a spectacular turn in Red State, Kevin's one of Kevin Smith's best movies yep. in my mind. Does a great turn in that. She win does she win an Academy Award for Alice Ward in The Fighter? No, but she should have. Oh, no. oh she's, she's great in the fighter. That was a small she yeah. she comes in, she come pops into um flight. Um she's in Olympus's oh, yeah, Forward. Yeah, yeah. She's Sally in Oblivion. Are we an effective yeah, team? Yeah, yeah. We an effective yeah, team? Yeah. Um, around this time, she pops into Treme um, for that that series, a terrific series. If you haven't seen it, she's in the Equalizer. Yeah. She's in the Big Short. Um, she's, Dawn, like, Dawn, is she in that? Or is which she one? In... 
Gone, baby, gone. That was literally no frozen no. river was when she came in. That was that was frozen uh, river. Years that's after. Yeah, so she's she she does a couple of films and then she's like bouncing back to TV and then bouncing back to films. She's been doing voice work. She was in BoJack Horseman for a couple of episodes. She's in yeah. Snowden, um, which is a pretty decent movie. It's not it's not yeah, out fine. of this world. It's it's yeah. very watchable. She's in Equal. Yeah, she yeah. continues to be in the Equalizer series, and she's it says oh, no, know, she dies like, she dies in the second one. That's the whole thing. It sets up the plot. Yeah, and so um, and she's got <laughs> she's got a bunch of uh, other things that are on on the way. Um, but yeah, she's um she's she's really she's really going for it in this period. She's absolutely <laughs> just like she's sensational. So how much? I wonder how much. There's a bit. It feels like a bit of carryover from Prisoners for Dano into the Batman to an extent. Oh, but Dano's been doing like, that sort of stuff for a while. It's yeah, uh, it's like it feels like he's been doing that sort of weirdo sort of slightly. This feels, this feels yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah, it's, I, and she I did win that, for the fighter. It. She won a best uh, best oh, supporting actress for oh. the fighter, and in Frozen okay. River, that was her previous nomination. She was nominated in two thousand and nine for that. Yeah, but when they take that fucking hood off Paul Tano's head, that when he's just swelled up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man! Like it's. I think it's really smart to like to have us as the audience second guess. Like. Do we guess, mm. do we accept what was said at the parking lot or is that in his head? Is that like Hugh Jackman wants to hear that? But then when he like strings the dog up at the end of the street, just when he's mm-hmm. walking the dog at night and it's like that smartly for us as the audience to go, okay, well, whoa, maybe there is, like maybe we do have a usual suspect style situation. But then, and then to sing the song, like oh, there are so the many nice little touches like that, mm. and then the other one through the like through the pipe about they were smiling, like. Oh, Look, they, I've like, loved Paul Dano since I've loved Paul Dano since he was the since he was Clitz in the Girl Next Door. Oh yeah. yes, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, he's it's great. Like I. Yeah, I I I still think Terrence Howard's really good in it. Like, oh, Terrence Howard's like, a great from, actor. Those little touches, like with him playing the trumpet and all that sort of, like the uh, the Thanksgiving stuff, even the hunt, like even just starting it with the hunting scene, just the that sort of notion and the the dead deer in the back of the truck, like and shooting it through the wind, just. Oh, Dylan Minnette, yeah, he's the kid, he's the son, and that's an, that's yeah. one of the interesting sort of roles that gets glossed over. This one is the son where they sort of. He has him that bit where he confronts the dad about him being you know, just going off and getting drunk. I'm stuck here looking after mum while she's I collapsing. Love, essentially, I love that of like, no, I'm doing, I'm doing the Lord's work at the old house, and you're like, all right, but how much are you just getting pissed? Ignoring your responsibility, yeah. like, because, but how much are you getting pissed to as the torturer, yes. knowing mm. that you're you're in pure denial that it's actually helping. And yeah. that he's gonna he's gonna break again. That's very that's smartly done. And it's again well informed that it's over what a seven day seven at most seven day period because mm-hmm. they talk about like they get to six days when nothing's happened and that's when he blows up. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, maybe maybe seven days. It's very smartly the way it keeps without having the official counter of like day two, day three. The other thing I. On this watch, yeah, it, it, only sort of, it only sort of falls apart sort of at the end, like Leo's uh, with the sort of 
the explanations and sort of and reveals at the end. It's a little cliche, yeah, kind a of, little, you know, a little sort of out of a James Patterson novel kind of thing. Bit of yeah, yeah, a bit of Scooby Doo, like you know, you finally <laughs> find it away. Um, the other interesting take is, and a, a different movie may have gone down this path that it had nothing to say that it was a like a young white girl and a young black girl that went missing, and they never. They never looked at like there was never the a racism element. Like, it wasn't a racial. Yeah, there was yeah. never like yeah, there was never like if it was a young white girl stolen, like taken, you have all the like regardless. They go, we've got every uniform officer in the state looking for these kids. Yeah, they never. Yeah. It it doesn't. It just very smartly doesn't pick any battles that it doesn't need to necessarily take. Like you say, the delineations away from the main story. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very careful about that. Yeah, not just the racism stuff, but also it's the sexuality sort of stuff as well. Like, you, Loki, you never see anything about a, a sort of romantic life, anything at all in that character. You're wondering yeah. if he's sort of, because yeah. of the abuse yeah. there is, a, has that informed in, in his sort of things? Was he, is he, is he gay? Is he asexual? What do we don't know? Yeah, and if you take that as almost, is it flirting with the waitress at the beginning or is it just, He's got an like straight conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, and, and you get the sense that, you know, he's there on Thanksgiving. No, again, no mm. family to go to. Yeah. Exactly. He's eating um, Thanksgiving dinner in By a, himself. in a, yeah, but in a, like a highway diner slash mm. Chinese restaurant sort of thing. Like that idea of, yeah, that, that loneliness and that dedication. I love, I love the little touches as well of, the things happening when he's in his car and he's like just trying to do his job and like Hugh Jackman comes out and he's like, oh shit, what now? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh fuck, I'm just like, I'm literally just trying to do my job and all these people are getting in the way of me doing, I don't think he said, I think again, it's that coping mechanism of like, I don't see, and again, it ties into the maze portion. I don't see any humans around me. I just see riddles and problems I need to solve. Yes, and the way I solve the riddle or the problem is to catch the killer, find the missing child, like find the thing. It's almost like a way. And, and I guess that, it goes back to sort of true detective style. There's a couple of bits that are cliched, but they're perfectly, perfectly tweaked versions of the cliche. Which is like in so many movies, you see the cop or the detective trash their desk, right? Oh yeah, they trash their desk and they're like, "Fuck it!" And then it just cuts to the next scene. But I mm. love that in this movie, you see him trash his desk. You actually see a little bit of the fallout in the office, like, "Oh, there's Detective Loki, this big city cop douchebag, fucking carrying on again like a pork chop. Like we're just <laughs> we've had enough of him." And then the camera floats from that sort of God's eye POV over the top of him, and you just see he's amazing. You know, he's he's this sort of weird, contorted, frustrated almost like, I don't know, like he's just like possessed body and the, and the fallout of all of the investigation papers on the ground. And then it like triangulates to the photo of, yeah, yeah. Know, of, of the guy underground with the, ta- with the, with the, with the, um, unsolved spiral, maze spiral yeah. and then the spiral yeah. pictures. And then it's like, and then it tweaks to his like, the picture of the guy and he's like oh shit like this is what it is and so he goes to the house and you know that's i just love those touches too because there's some bits you know we love genre movies because they hit on the cliches that we love and i think that this does such an amazing job of being so firmly in genre but then it's just like 
it just extrapolates and extends these huge genre scenes to like make you deal with the emotional turmoil of like a real situation that this would be unfolding. And same with the captain when he says to him, like it's quite a jarring jolt when he's like, save it for the fam. Like, like mm-hmm. they don't even let him wallow in the fact that the guy's killed himself in custody. Yes. And he's like, save it for the, save it for the parent, save it for the kid's parents. Yes. So like when he's got, and it's like, that coldness and that sort of way of dealing with, you know, the darkness that sort of first responders have to have that sort of, you know, the gallows humor of sort of things like that. Just you, you're talking about some of just to get through the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just to like deal with it. And they're like that. Uh, they're through it. Like even at the beginning when they're like, I don't have the budget to be doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that two kidnapped children aren't moving the Richter scale, like yes. it's it, mm. and the way Hugh Jackman and they react, and as any parent would, like it's horrific and it's the worst possible thing that could happen. And to the police, it's like it's a Tuesday, <laughs> and 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 they they can't rise and fall on, like he can't yeah. actually get emotionally involved in this. Like we are doing everything, but that's how, but that's, that's how you know hospital workers. That's how you know, cops on yeah. the front lines. That's yeah. how. You know, yeah. You can't be a coroner without being a really twisted comedian. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. And it, there's something to that though, because it's some like, they, like we said before that it's, it's, know, the, a, it's said, the Billy Connolly joke of like, he was like, when I was, he's, he goes, when, when I had, had, he had a close friend who was studying to be a mortician. And he said like, when, when they're at university and they take bodies up to the university, oh, sorry, as a medical university. So they take bodies from the morgue, that had been donated mm. to science and then to use and people would go home and like go to get their car keys out of a pocket and there'd be a penis in there and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like the people, it's just like, he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, you know, the great Billy Connolly, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, just, you know, penis in your pocket. And I'm like, man, that's like, what a what a familiarity with with death to just take the piss out of it. But you kind of have to. Oh, they, because, they do that. They do that a lot. Yeah. One of the famous, I think it was Stephen Breyer, the famous story where they're like, the coroner was addressing the students and he was like, you know, this is what you do. You put the finger in there and then they had to make the students do that sort of thing. And then he goes, like, then you put the suck the finger like this. Yeah. Now you notice I put the middle finger was the one I put in and then the index yeah. finger was the one. I, was I was having that conversation with someone the other day. I said, oh yeah, someone used to work at the coroner's court and they said, oh, did it, did it mess them up? Like seeing all those, like all the dead bodies and everything. I said, no, not really. The only weird thing was like, Every time he wanted to have sex with his wife, he'd make her get in an ice bath first and then lay really still. <laughs> hey, sure. oh. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I don't I think I've only seen this I think I've only seen this two or three times. Yeah. And I don't know like as you know, you love your as I said to you, this could be a six or eight like series breakdown of this film i think you'd find enough people that want to come and talk mm. prisoners yeah but i'm not sure i necessarily would want to revisit it too many times to go no, back through it's this a, process it's a hard it's, yeah, yeah. it's a tough it's a great slog. watch uh, it's it's a, but, it's so amazing but it's just it is so nakedly candid with the awful inhumanity of desperation that it's mm. not super fun like that's totally why no. i can understand like in the last decade particularly it's like all the things we've already said number one an absolutely amazing all-star cast number two a really terrific premise a great script a 
a studio that's funding a director who they clearly have a belief in and see higher potential for and see sort of like that great, like they've made independent movies, they've made smaller scale movies. Let's sort of gradually increase as they're like kind of going up to the majors, you know, like an old boxing trainer with like a guy that has a lot of potential. They're trying to pick opponents for them to like keep, you know, to manage the risk of like eventually throwing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at them to do this gigantic thing. And so you can totally see, oh, okay, they're just managing their thing. They're just moving them up. Yep. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. But unlike something like Sicario, which is, you know, you can also, you can almost write off as even though it's not, but people can sort of write it off as like, Oh, it's like folly. It's like, you know, you know, contemporary war stuff. It's got a little bit of extremity. It's got a little bit, maybe less believability, um, I actually think it's got just equally the amount of believability as prisoners, but you can see that it's a little bit more like calm as like violence between drug kingpins and people and, you know, and police doesn't seem bro. to move the needle. It's yeah, it's a, yeah. You're a pro. A so if you get, if you get knocked around, that's your, your job, but man, the, this movie just wallops you, wallops you. And then, and, and mm. even though the ending is deeply, satisfying in many ways um it's also like i don't know if i can go back through that just to get the relief <laughs> like i don't know if i can yeah. go back through it to get the relief <laughs> yeah it's just strange. Yeah, there's, there's, I, yeah there's a shot in here the, the, the scene with um that where he does the shower torture stuff it's like oh man that yeah you know you just you hear the screaming and just the, yeah. obviously Dickens just has that shot of the eye yes yeah yeah in the hole, and it's like, oh my god! Because <laughs> I, I almost don't know if it needed the whistle at the end as well. I don't know if you oh. needed it to be like if you almost could have done somehow with the sound design to be the whistle through the trees, as opposed to the actual whistle. Like I don't know if because the redemption for what Hugh. Huge. Jackman Jackman's is. never getting any redemption. He's going to jail. No, he's going to prison, he basically. Yeah. He, when he's he going goes to, out of that hole. But I, and, but, he, and he goes knowing that he didn't get his daughter back. Like, it wasn't his actions that led no. to that. Which is even more, which is even more torture that he's going to go to jail. He did all that stuff and it didn't, it didn't actually instigate that action. It was just Loki. And he was right. He was right about the, he was right. putting it together. Like, but just couldn't get the, but yeah, right answer, but I didn't like you working out. <laughs> yeah, <young>. well, <laughs> you know, the other big thing is like I heard you, I heard you, you were there. Yeah, mm. yeah, that was. You were I there, mean, and not, mm. and not to, and be that again. That's the fact that he's burdened with his daughter. He has to get it back. His dad left him. His dad was a piece of shit. So he had to make. He had to make him in. and. As equally as we learn about Gyllenhaal's life, I think there's the nice touches to Hugh Jackman's dad is a nice way to do it as well. Like, mm. I knew your dad. Yeah, okay, cool. Someone in the police knew him. All right, now it's a suicide. Now it's this. And again, may have been the uh, uh, abusive as well when we think about that's why you're a prepper because <laughs> your, dad was prepping. your dad was doing that as well. So your dad might get the sense that he was potentially a mean or a strict man and there would have been mm -hmm. i get the sense there was a bit of discipline around the house as well being from like a prison warden or a prison guard that kind of thing maybe bring yeah. work home and tap mm -hmm. like hitting the kids or his mum around i like that all of these like inferences can be made against all these people to how they ended up here <laughs> um 
but yeah, yeah but, I, but but that whistle at the end, you know, as much and that's. I think it's kind of a. It just puts a it puts a bow on it because we we're left. Otherwise, we're left with he's out there somewhere. Well, we know where he is, and we we walk away going, yelling at the screen, going, "He's in the hole! He's in the hole! You were right there!" Yeah, but I'm not sure if mm. the bow. It no, go it's, way, but right? what's like what's it, good? It's a bit. It's about as good as a bow as we can hope for because at the end of the day, he's gone to jail. Probably go to hospital. Yeah. He'll learn that his daughter's okay, mm. which is like the only small mercy that he has. But he has to go to jail and bear the burden. Essentially, not a torture the poor kid for no only, reason. Not, not only torturing someone, but essentially torturing someone who could have been his daughter, manipulated mm. well, into yeah. being a manipulating yeah. into being a pawn in the game of those things. So he's got even more psychological burden on that. But I I do love that he at least, you know, his survivalist instincts meant that he had a torch on his keys. And that he found yeah. a whistle. And then after, and they're playing, there's a great, you know, transition phase where they go from like in situ, um, they go from sort of like soundtrack music of Radiohead to like these guys are listening to Radiohead um, at I the building that. site. Like it's just a great yeah. transition, just a beautiful little musical edit. Um, and then they play it and, you know, we hear the whistle and it's just like, just and a, lovely, a, lovely t- a lovely touch again of just, the workmanlike nature of of them doing their work. They're like, oh, the ground's frozen. Boom, we'll just sh- like literally, it's knockoff time. Yeah. Not like yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be here all night till we get our man. As- especially with the guy that plays the guy that plays the head of the crime scene investigators is great as well. Where he's like, when he walks him through the book and he goes, yeah, I read it. It's it's fine. It's, you know, I read a bit of a few chapters of the book, and then when he's like, Loki's like, I don't know what to do. He's like. Keep knocking on doors, looking in windows. I love mm. that, like just that idea of like <laughs> you're a detective. Just go keep like it's Detect. no different to what they sort of. Well, that brings <laughs> well, it brings it down to the ground. It brings it down to the ground level. Whereas there are other points in the film where it kind of some of the stuff with the spirals and all the mazes and the the larger scale where they're they're essentially what they call. There was a movie years ago with Ben Kingsley and Aaron Eckhart called Suspect Zero, which was about a a truck driver who is essentially responsible for killing you know, strays and wanderers and homeless and stuff and like hundreds of people and that sort of thing. Um, and so this was trying to do something. When I was trying to do this bigger scale thing of, oh, these guys are responsible for all the child killings and for like the In last 30 yeah. years. Yeah. It does feel like it escapes control a bit. That's the one part of the film where it feels like it's a bit out of Villeneuve's control. It's kind of, yeah. it doesn't quite but get it, on it, that. It, as soon as they mention it, he's just like, it's almost like I have to mention it because it's a good note. But then the smartest mm. thing he does is no, I now I have to get even tighter on this story. Mm. And then it becomes about like, it's every, like, as I think stupid, it really well. was like, everyone's being pushed and the noose is tightening and just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And then we're here. Mm. Because there is that, there's that cynicism in seven where Morgan Freeman's like, we just go around, we pick up the pieces that are never going to be used and we label everything and we one day may build a case. And I think that has been a nice reset point for that sort of modern day gritty detective film when it is things like this, where it's Loki just, I am literally walking around with a notepad saying, what, ha- like, what happened? Oh yeah, yeah. window. The, and the way they tie it back in, it is a bit tropey that he like, comes back to window, open, find the sock, yeah, like it is. Yeah, it yeah. is about of just sweating, of just sweating the case, even tying back to how you know from following Hugh Jackman to the liquor store where he's going to cut through. There were those nice 
scripty kind of moments, but at some point these things have to happen, right? Like yeah. the, and I guess it, it also looks at those, if they have been out, because you get the sense they were quite younger when they were out knocking off kids, that it is a time before it was just people going oh, they, missing and people go and, missing and, and run amok because. And they're a town know, over, you know, if they're a town yeah, over. Yeah, there's not. There's no computers linking missing no. people. And, it's like they got you know, missing and if they, if they can't find them, a poor single mum. No surveillance and stuff. No, yeah, the, poor single mum with yeah. a family. It's just like they just never go. know the kid goes missing. And then like five years later, she could see her yeah. son on the news or in the shop and never even know that it's her son. She has no clue. She doesn't know what they're going to look like. Touches of, um, touches of black, phone, black phone from last year. Like how yeah. about the kids going. Yeah, like yeah. That sort of, with that sort of thing of like just yeah. the ease of just kids getting nabbed, which was. Yeah, yeah, more of a time of the eighties, like seventies, eighties kind of thing was that lurking idea that people. Could well, there was always that thing because you don't know what's behind that, you know, that that door or that house. That you know, there was always that weird. Everyone, every neighborhood had a weird house. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. There was someone there that was just a little off. What's on the edge of the What's on the edge of the footy field? Like that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Like that yeah, car yeah. that's the car that's occasionally seen up the back paddock kind of thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it echoes at those things really smartly. Like it just really, yeah. really tight. Because otherwise, yeah, you're into true detective and you're doing the yellow king. Yeah. And we never yeah, really yeah. get we never really get to yeah. the bottom of the yellow king and we stumble onto everything else along the way and it, But it's also you can't yeah. sort of do it nowadays, ten days you know, ten years later, it's like everything is everyone's photographing everything. You know, it's all yeah. everything's on social well, media. There's all you know. You don't worry about isn't that, missing because I can just photograph and post it on Instagram for God's sake. Well, <laughs> and it's probably one thing we didn't again just sort of jumping back to Iron Man very quickly. In that was like some phones, and it was like they were more text messages, and there I don't think mm. there were any video phones. In this, that everyone's got a flip phone. Mm. Like it's. It feels like that. That is that that tail end. It's just that next. It's that transition point. It's that like yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. You know, this movie is looking back probably about five ten years. It's like that early two thousands pre twenty ten when there's like you don't have. Not everyone has an iPhone. Like not everyone has all those things. They've just got this old school technology. Not everyone's taking photos. Social media isn't omnipresent. It's just like not quite there yet. And even but in, not even not even text messages are a thing. Like it's no. not even like where are yeah. they're literally yeah. opened to call. And if yes. I don't get yeah. a call, it's, and it, it, yeah. it's not even like, cause it wasn't. No, cause like it takes so long to screen. cycle through three letters where it's like, where, yeah. 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 H, yeah. E, yeah, like, yeah. you're like, yeah. you're cycling yeah. through the letters. And yeah. 40 and now, now everyone, and now everybody has a GPS in their pocket. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's a different thing. But I think I think and one I of think, the things that we can say, though, it's been ten years. We've touched on a couple of them. One of the things we can say is, anyone who was um, buying stock on Deli, Danny Villeneuve at this time has is owning. They are owning. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. eating yeah. well. They're eating <laughs> well. Steak dinners but, a lot. And same <laughs> with like we, I was again talking. I was at last week talking with people about. Prince of Persia, and I only caught that maybe two years ago. Like, I think it was on Disney Plus. Like, I saw it on Disney Plus going, I'm going to finally watch it because I've always heard it was horrible. But mm. what Dylan Hall actually brings to that is quite fun. Like, it's, it feels like it's, mm. it feels like it remembers a time again of 40 years. It feels like it's the last 
time a bit that and sort of Pirates of the Caribbean feel like the last of the swashbuckling can still remember the rope swinging jumping out of harm's way but Gyllenhaal has such a odd charisma to that kind of like because it's either going to be the shitbag rogue or it's him <laughs> who's this sort of it's a quirkiness of sort of the the thief out of time and place, which yeah. also works in his own way. The same the same way it worked in that, or it works in Spider Man, or he can crank it up for Nightcrawler or Ambulance. I, I, ambulance, he's ambulance. absolutely having a ball. He's having a but ball. it's sort of that, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's that different time though. It's because it's he's the thing with Gyllenhaal is always it's it's the eyes and the hair. Gyllenhaal does all that stuff through those and yeah, he yeah. uses them both to great effect in this film. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like that. this was that period where he was like early 30s so he's transitioned from being the young pretty boy from like you know the hunk sort of thing the day tomorrow and that kind of stuff to more this is where he starts getting the juicier sort of roles and being a real dramatic sort of adult actor and it, it's an odd one because he's yeah because we, we just watched we and it's, it's also Gyllenhaal pre Taylor Swift. Swift. It's pre Taylor Swift. Pre Taylor Swift. It's probably arguably his, his like you know as the gay man on this thing. I got to say, it's arguably his hottest period. No, he's <laughs> yeah. hot. Well, he's hot. He's hot from, one, like yeah. I say, we were watching. We were watching Brokeback, and even just seeing the like how much more in control of his craft is in this, just in that time period. Like just mm. he's really the way he's sort of really zoned in. Like even. That opening shot of just him, and again, it's, it's partially direction and whatnot, but mm. the way he is hunched over that table, again, he's oh, echoing. Yeah. Like that's a the way he's sort of hunched forward on that table is a person who's eaten with a certain degree of that's again that boy home style protection. Mm -hmm. Like I'm kind of like I've got to look like it's almost that you'd if yeah. he was he was someone who'd come out of prison and was in that similar sort of room in a diner you'd expect yeah. him to eat in a similar way. Like that sort of like, I'm looking after my... Yeah, that's the Jason Bourne thing where it's like, <laughs> it's 20 metres to the exit. Yeah, 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 exit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he probably, he actually probably would have made an interesting Bourne too, just quietly. I think you could, could do a Bourne. Yeah, yeah. So 10 years, Jake Gyllenhaal's stock, still high. Oh, yeah. and getting higher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we'll see how, we'll see how Roadhouse is. <laughs> um, Hugh Jackman... This was kind of peak Hugh Jackman. He like kind of crested. Is it his yeah. best? Is this his best work, no. or is Logan? Will Logan go? Maybe down Logan. His... I think maybe Logan plays out for him. To maybe be Logan. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his stuff. The Prestige. Prestige, yeah, Prestige is spectacular. Yeah. Is it too big? Like, does he go? Has he? Because I think he, for all of his charm, I think Hugh Jackman is probably very limited in what he can do. He can do affable, nice guy or rage, he does a bit of sort of smarmy shitbag when he's trying to lie about, you know, going to have a drink and stuff. Is it, it's him swigging the him swigging the whiskey is a bit like watching Tom Cruise drink a beer in Mission Impossible 3. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have never had a drink in your life. Like he's like, can I? <laughs> and it's like, you know, he's drinking like uh, Denzel drinks vodka in flight. He's like, look at me chug vodka because I'm such an alcoholic. It's, you know, <laughs> I, I think it would be, it'd be close to some of Hugh Jackman's. Yeah, I think, I, I think mean, it's, I think it's, yeah. I think it's definitely close. Yeah. I would just say this movie is aging particularly well because it feels like something we don't have anymore. 
it feels like mm. right in the pocket. Um, one of those last gasps at an earlier age, as you said, Garth, that, you know, it'd be a paramount move. It'd be a paramount filler from the nineties, which I, you know, is such a, an amazing collection of words for all of the pictures that it conjures in my head, of all of the memories of all those. <laughs> the double, the, you know, the double jeopardies, the double jeopardies, totally like dirty touchstone pictures. Yeah. From the yeah, night. yeah. Yeah. It's just something. It just grabs me. But yeah, I think this movie, um, what it's done is, you know, in some ways, I feel like at the time it was probably maligned as like a, you know, this is like a kind of prestige kind of seven. I mean, seven did, you know, for the whole serial killer kind of movie or these kind of movies, like it really broke the mold. It was a genre buster and it took a long time for people to recover. But I think what was, it was happened in the last 10 years is that rather than just diminishing them for maybe being in the same genre area is a great movie. Um, I think people go back and can actually like find the differentiation of why this is so good. Like, it's just like, it's really good. It sits up there. We spoke about Gone Girl. We've spoken about Nightcrawler, um, you know, and, Down to and, the land. Like and we and, haven't touched on like, yeah. We've, and, and it's like, going and we, back we spoke, even that, we spoke, we haven't we, like literally on IMDb it's, you know, it's, it's, it's AI or whatever algorithm. It says more like this. If you're just looking at this movie and it says Nightcrawler, Gone Girl says Shutter Island, which is another terrific one. <laughs> Seven. It says the prestige Zodiac catch me if you can. I'm like, catch me if you can is a bit jaunty. Um, yeah. um, and uh, it's a little bit more jaunty than what I think, but yeah, it's, it's definitely like, it's got a whole bunch of other yeah, movies look, that it's recommending. Fewer, fewer kids got raped in um, catch me if you can from memory. <laughs> like, probably because he never caught him. <laughs> That's what Spielberg is known for. <laughs> and Hanks. Spielberg and Hanks. Yeah. Not two words, children and rape. I would think with those guys' names ever. Leo, you've slipped through my clutches yet again. <laughs> and just when I thought we were going to go out with a bit of prestige, talking about prisoners, you 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 bring down the class, gentlemen. Thank you so much Mate. for doing this. Um, no it, this is a really fun exercise, I think, because you know, as I said, part of my desire to do this was like um, an old Anthony Lane quote where he talked about you know, you should watch the movies and review them on the opening day. Or, and, and his mind is like, oh, or you shouldn't talk about them for 50 years. Um, and I'm not quite <laughs> as patient as Anthony Lane to wait 50 years for some of these movies that I want to talk about from 10 years ago, but I certainly want to go back and revisit because I feel like anything that's still resonating pretty strongly with me from like more than a decade, especially, you know, cause that was the time when I kind of really started getting into film criticism. I'm just excited to, you know, check out the ones that I love and see if they've still got any lasting cultural impacts or if people are finding them. Cause this feels like really, you know, a 10 year rolling window it feels like the last, you know, parts of relevancy that we actually see manifest on like streaming services and stuff like that, you know, like they just kind of like, it's like 10 years and then beyond 10 years, there's like three movies that were made in every other decade. <laughs> and that's it. That's yeah. all that streaming services yeah. have, <laughs> unless it's the criterion channel or something like that. But it's, it feels like there's so few of those movies um, that maybe, you know, in the last couple of, you know, couple of decades that it, it goes beyond. It also maybe sort of reminds everyone to chill out and not many years of bad years for cinema yeah like you could go you can go through any you go basically through any year and you're going to find your 20 or 30 titles that you're like yeah but, but I, had, I had a ball and they like it, we all get everyone gets so anxious about oh seven things came out yesterday i haven't seen them yet you're like just relax like these things <laughs> like just 
just calm down. There's going to be oodles of time to listen. To catch I try and be an adult. And it's so now, much right? easier. This you have so much easier access now than you did ten years ago. It's not like exactly. it's going to be hard. No. And, and look, I do try and be an adult, but you know, like we just were talking about off air. Give me that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning trailer, baby. Oh, my God. I know. I should be an adult. I shouldn't carry on. But oh. Yeah, but it's Rebecca, it's Rebecca Ferguson and an eye patch and you. Uh, yes, uh. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that was a kink until it came up. On <laughs> I love finding new kinks in trailers. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. You can find Garth at Dark Horizons every day. Every day fucking day the man is a machine um he's the t1000 uh of of movie news online and uh um just like robert patrick he will chase you down on a motorbike and catch you um he'll be so fast <laughs> that james cameron has to tell you to slow down so you don't catch the bike um and uh and uh Stu Coot, always um being a pest uh, in the best possible way, always making me chuckle. I have to actually share his own tweets back to him and text messages to respond to them because my public response would absolutely get me canceled. Um, so bless your hearts, <laughs> cute for and just stay you, you know? My pleasure. like such a 20th century movie it feels like something david lean would have done or tried to do uh when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of lost you can just watch fearless <laughs> not a week goes by that i don't think of the ending of gallipoli it's left a mark a uh, year of living dangerously uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a, you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, 
um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know. Uh, and, <laughs> Yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things, again, I I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull, you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. <laughs>